we're in Romans, you're going to see this is really a personal note to us. Now, I don't know if the Lord's going to spank you like he did me, but um, you'll see that there's some things here that, that really, really speak to us as a group of people. It really mentions the fact of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul is going to very, very wonderfully and subtly tell us about what he wants us to know right from the very beginning of this, this wonderful note to the church in Rome. The last couple of weeks, let me just re reiterate what we've been through. We saw Paul explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles who were in Rome, expra explaining to them truly who is this one that they are to worship. Who is this one called Jesus Christ? Well, if you remember, we said in verses 2, verses 3, and verses 4 in chapter 1, that he was number one in verse two, the revealed one. He was the one that was promised. He was the one that came as a man. We saw also in verse three that he is not only the one that was revealed, he was the reigning one. He was the one who came as king of kings. I mentioned to you last week, some of them might not have seen the fact that he was a king because he came as a a suffering servant. He came to, to die upon the cross for the sin of mankind. And so we saw in verse 2, the, reigning, the revealed one. Verse 3, the reigning one. And then we saw what made him who he is. In verse 4, the resurrected one. The one who was resurrected from the dead as Lord of Lord and God of very God. Now, we saw all of that going through the book of, of Revelation. I mean, we, we saw it firsthand. We saw the glory and the majesty of this one called Jesus Christ. But these people have not really seen any of this. They're Gentiles. They really haven't got the history behind them of the coming Messiah. Now, you've got to remember, Paul had not yet come to Rome. He hasn't been there yet. He was called by God to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. And Paul wanted the folks to know him. More importantly, Paul wanted the folks to know his Savior, Jesus Christ. So, in verse 1, as we mentioned to you, Paul first, and very importantly, told them that he was a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He had come to serve the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. That, we said, was something that he could choose to do, to be a bondservant. On the other hand, it says in verse 1, he was also called, and we said that's a very important word, because that word has nothing to do with Paul, has everything to do with God. He was called as an apostle, and he was set apart for the gospel. Called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel, meaning God forever and ever changed his life. We'll study about it sometime during this study in the book of Romans, when, when the Lord touched his life on the, on the road to Damascus, and how, how he was forever changed from that moment on. 
Paul has changed so much. We, we told you in, in, verse, in verse 1, if you remember, he was set apart not from, but for the gospel. He wasn't set apart from the things that he used to do. He was set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that Paul exclaimed when he wrote, when he was in Rome, by the way, he was in prison, as we're going to see a little bit later tonight. When he was in prison, he wrote, a book to the church in Philippi, Philippians. And in chapter 3, in verses 13 and 14, Paul said that he, he forgot those things that lied behind him. The things that he used to be, he has forgotten, he says. But, he says, here's what I do. I press on. I press on, he says, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he chose to live his life from that point forward, from the point that our Lord touched his heart on the road to Damascus. He chose to live his life from then on, not looking backward anymore, but looking forward, centering his heart and his thoughts upon Jesus Christ. Well, we mentioned last week, amazingly, in verse 6, we are told that we too are called by Jesus Christ, just as Paul was in verse 1. And who are the called? They are those who heard and those who follow Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus made the gospel as clear as could be in the book of, of John, the 10th chapter, the 27th verse. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I, Jesus says, I know them and they follow me. Election called. As simple as this, the Lord calls, you answer and respond. As it says in verse 6, becoming one of the called of Jesus Christ. Paul reassures those in Rome who came to trust and believe in Jesus Christ that they were, in verses 6 and 7, as we studied last week, they were called of Jesus Christ. They were called as saints set apart. Therefore, if you've heard his voice, you and I have no excuse not to be used by God. We just don't. This is what got me thinking about those in this church who, who have so blessed us by serving the Lord here. You have no excuse not to be used by God. The lament within the church is that usually it's the 10%, the 20% to do the 90%, the 80% of the work. You and I have no excuse not to be used by God. The great joy, the great blessings that can be found in following Jesus Christ, being obedient to his call. You see, in verse 5, as we mentioned last week, Paul mentions very clearly in verse 5 that obedience of our faith is extremely important to our Lord. Look at verse 5 again. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, Paul is speaking of himself, to bring about obedience. To bring about obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. It's our lament. It's our cry. It's, it's our purpose of life to, to help you and me become obedient to this walk that we have with Jesus Christ. 
And the Word of God will mold and change your and my life into that type of person. You see, there's no excuse for not being obedient. In verse 1, for not becoming one of God's bond servants. And so we, we, we lament, we cry out, we plead with you week in and week out, have you heard His call? If not, maybe you're just not listening. Or worse, as I said last week, you heard it, you heard the call, but you put it off. Saying, not right now. I'm just a hair too busy. If you heard his call, don't hesitate to follow your Savior. And so we come to, to some really rich, rich teaching within the Word of God, starting with verse 8, and we'll just go to verse 12. Paul says first, okay, first he's going to say something to the believers in Rome. First, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I might impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Father, May we somehow, someway grasp the very depth of what Paul just wrote in this, these just few words. He lets us know that he is encouraged by the proclamation of their faith. And how he unceasingly makes mention of them in his prayers. And how he longs to come to them so that he might, by the grace of an almighty God, impart some spiritual gifts to them that they may be established. And that he, Paul, might be encouraged together with them, each of them, by the other's faith, both of them encouraging one another. Father, if there's a, if there's a reason why... We gather together. It is that in a nutshell, Father, that we encourage one another, that we, we build each other up. Oh, Father, may the people of this church see how critically important their gift is to the body of Christ. As Dan is trying to help teach us and, and mold us into this, this whole new process that that we would be community, each of us doing what we've been called to do, each of us having a part in this whole process of, of our faith. Bless us, dear Lord, please. Move me aside, for my words are not that important right now. 
what we want to do is to hear from your heart to ours. I want to hear that call, Father, if, if in fact there are some here that cannot say that they have. Hear that call of yours so that we might be your sheep, hearing your voice, that you know us and we follow you. Just as you said, Father, in John chapter 10, the 27th verse. And so bless us, Lord, please. Would you do us the most amazing privilege? It was told to me by an elderly gentleman by the name of Anthony Zioli. Would you open up my eyes so that I might behold wonderful things from your law? I pray that for all of us here. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. If ever you're going to see the intimacy of a church, you're going to see it in these few verses. These few verses can, be, can actually change your life and my life, can actually change the life of this church. These few verses ought to make an impact upon all of our lives. We saw last week that there is no middle ground with God. We, we mentioned that Dr. J. Vernon McGee always says, you're either a saint or you ain't. There's no middle ground. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said in the book of Matthew, the 12th chapter, the 30th verse, he says, the one who is not with me is against me. And he says, the one who doesn't gather, in essence, scatters. The one who is not with me is against me, Jesus says. The one who does not gather with me scatters. You see, Jesus cuts the line as straight and as pure as could possibly be. There is really no middle ground with this faith that you and I have is, that is called Christianity. You are either with him or you are against him. You are either a saint or you ain't. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, having never been to Rome, Paul lets the people there know more about himself. He wants to take away, I believe, all the barriers and all the uncertainties of just who he is, the one who has been called by God to go to the Gentiles and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to get acquainted with them. He says, I'm a bond servant, I'm an apostle, I've been called, and I'm set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he lets them know about himself. Think about it. Why is he so transparent? Why, why is he open up with this statement? I'm a bond servant. I'm called. Called as an apostle. I'm set apart for the, God, for the gospel. You know, I learned a great lesson thinking about this during this week when I was studying. Here's what I thought I believe. I, I, here's what I believe I learned. It's good to let people know. It's good to let people know who you are in your faith as soon as you can, to allow them to see that you want to and it's your purpose to walk with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that they might get to know you. You see, I believe people wish to see the truth in a person, and especially a person who is telling them about the wonders of their Savior, Jesus Christ. They want to see if it's true in your life or not. 
I want to tell you an incident that happened, happened to me a long time ago. I mentioned this before. I don't think I've mentioned it here in a long, long time. I was getting established in the ministry with professional athletes and their wives. My wife and I were working in the ministry with the, the Dodgers and the Angels and the Rams and the Raiders. And we were having a wonderful, glorious time in ministry. And I would go to spring training with the Dodgers for about a month. And, and then I'd go to spring training with the Angels for a while when they were in Palm Springs and, and kind of set the tone of what we were going to do for chapel services during the season. And we started off where there was just a few guys coming. I mean, if we got one, two guys to come to chapel, that was a bonus. It, not very many guys wanted to go to church in the ballpark. They thought that the ballpark was the ballpark, the church was the church, and you can't combine the two. And so we were trying to teach them that, that, that your life as a believer, it encompasses everything and all that you do. Jesus Christ is just as much alive in the ballpark, I told the guys, as he, as he was in some great cathedral. And you can honor the Lord by what you do in your workplace just as easily as you can in a church. And all of a sudden, we started gathering more guys, came to chapel with the Dodgers and the Angels. It got to be almost an explosion. It was amazing. Both the managers, uh, at the time, Jimmy Fergosi was a manager with the Angels, and Tommy Lasorda was a manager with the Dodgers, and I knew both of them intimately. I, they were friends of mine. In fact, when I joined the Angels Ball Club, one of the first persons I met was Jimmy Fergosi. And I thought, well, the Dodgers, we, we had a tradition that when we went on the road, you wore a suit and a tie. The Angels, not so much. So I had a tie on, a polka dotted tie. I'll never forget it, as long as I live. A black and white polka dot tie, black jacket suit. And there I'm sitting in the lobby, and up comes Bill Rigney, who was the manager, and Jimmy Fergosi. And Fergosi sticks out his hand and says, What woman's shop did you buy that tie in? <laughs> I was just, Not hello, how are you? How are you? What woman's shop did you buy that tie in? And Rigney almost hit the ground laughing so hard. So I knew Jimmy fairly well. The guys, both Jimmy and, and, and Tommy Lasorda opened up the, the clubhouse for us, and we would, we would have chapel services, and it, it, it exploded. It exploded. We, with the Dodger Ball Club, we went from a couple of guys to where uh, there were 25 guys on the roster, and about 20 guys regularly came to chapel. And one guy in particular came, and he was professing his faith in Jesus Christ, and I was watching him. And he'd be fine in the, in the chapel room, but when we left the chapel room, we got into the locker room, he would tell some of the most rankest jokes. And, I, and he, when, he'd hear me, when he'd see me, he'd kind of straighten up a little bit. And then when I left out of, the, out of the locker room, I could hear him start up with his jokes again. The guys were laughing. And, and then I heard from a couple of guys that he was running around pretty much on the road. So one day we were going to chapel, and, and he was sharing his faith with some of the guys. And I pulled him aside and I said, uh, I want you to do me a favor. He said, sure, I'll do anything for you. I said, I want you to stop coming to chapel, would you? He said, we don't need you to come. He looked at me like, who am I? Who are you to tell me I can't go to chapel? And I said, look, I said, you're out there sharing faith and you're confusing so many guys that 
that are listening to the gospel, they, they, they think it's fine to tell these kind of jokes. They think it's fine to live a lifestyle like you live, and, and you're confusing those guys that really want to live for Christ. And so until you want to straighten out your life, I told him this in private. Nobody, nobody heard him, me tell him this. I said, until you want to straighten out your life, just stay away. You could, you could sense the feeling with him just about like you can here. I'm going to tell you there's a good ending to this story. He came to me and he thanked me. Later, not then. Then he, I'm not sure what he wanted to do with me. He said, you're the first person to ever talk to me like that. So I don't think I'm the first person to ever love you like I do. but I want you to walk with the Lord so much that I can taste it. And I said, you have so much to offer, and yet you're blowing it. I believe that Paul wanted the people in Rome to know what he stood for, and he was going to have them, in essence, hold him accountable to being a bondservant, an apostle, set apart for the gospel. And I ask you to do the same with me. I think our lives mean something, folks. I think our lives mean something as believers. And I think it's serious, serious for us to be serious with our faith, to walk with Christ, and to proclaim the wonders of who we are in Christ and live a life that that is exemplary the best we can so as to draw people to Jesus Christ. Nobody knew that story that happened with the ball club a while ago. And I share it with you only because it's so long removed, there's no way you'll know who it is. I remember another time we were going to chapel and Tommy Lasorda gave us a special room to meet in which was really kind. In fact, he stopped having infield practice so the guys could have longer in chapel if they wanted. How nice. And we were walking toward the chapel and, and, and Don Sutton was walking alongside of me and we were going to chapel and, and I think it was Rick, oh, right-handed pitcher, big guy, Rick, doesn't matter. But he was going the other way with a reporter and, 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 and Sutton said to him, where are you going? He says, oh, the guy wants to do a story and blah, blah, blah. And he says, no, you're not going. He says, you're going to chapel. Because the guy normally went to chapel. He says, well, this is the only time he could do it. And the reporter was kind of saying, this is the only time he can do it. And Sutton says, you can do it at some other time. He's going to chapel. He grabbed him by his arm and took him to chapel. I thought that was so cool. That's how serious those guys started to feel about this time that we had. Do you sense that? Do you sense that here? The seriousness of our faith? The desire to really make a commitment and walk with Jesus Christ? Do you desire to let people know where you stand so as to draw people to this Savior that you know and love. You'll only confuse the issue for those who are watching you and for those who are trying to be a part of living out our faith here at this church 
if you live a double lifestyle. You're okay here, but you're another person elsewhere. Now, if you're going to confess your faith, I beg of you, live it out. Paul wanted them to know who he was. He wanted them, I believe, to hold him accountable when he came to Rome. In verse 8, Paul then said, I want to thank God for you. Look, first of all, I want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. You know, there is absolutely nothing, nothing more exciting than to hear from other people about the growth and the excitement and the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going on within our church. People might know about who is the Rock Community Church. What's different about them? Do you remember what was written in the book of Acts? Do you remember when, when Peter shared his faith with the people there in, in Jerusalem and, and about 3,000 new believers came to trust and believe in Jesus Christ and they formed a brand new church, 3,000 of them. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47, Then those who had received the word, they were baptized, it says, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves. Continually they were devoting themselves. Continually they were devoting themselves to four things. The teachings of the apostles. To fellowship with one another. To the breaking of bread or having communion. And to prayer. Praying for one another. It says in verse 43 that everyone started to feel a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were, were taking place through the apostles there in that church. And those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. They began selling their property and their possessions, sharing them with those who might have need. Day by day, it says in verse 46, they were continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And in verse 47, they said it was, they were praising God because they were having favor with all the people. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the kind of church I want. I want to be a part of that kind of a church. I want to see that happen. Before I die, I want to see an excitement about the Rock Community Church. I want to see an excitement of people coming here and wanting to see what's so different about you guys. And I want to see the Lord adding to our number day by day people who are being saved. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that mostly for our Lord. And then in verse 9, Paul tells them that he's prays for them. Note how often he prays for them. Look at verse 9. He says, God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness. I pray, he says, unceasingly making mention of you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul also says, you are to pray without ceasing. How do you pray this way? How do you and I pray without ceasing? And is that we're to go around all day just mumbling underneath our breath? No. 
Praying isn't necessarily something that you do. Praying is something that you are. Praying is not something that you do. It is who you are. It's an awareness of God in every single circumstance in your life. Example, you're driving. You almost get in an accident. Your first thought ought to be, thank you, Father. Anything happens to you that is, is not a coincidence anymore, but rather it's God's hand upon your life. So the first words out of your mouth should be, praise you, Father, or a cry for help. Even a, even a parking space. Thanking the Lord for it. So he says, I pray for you unceasingly, and I, I get that. I, I get it. What we've been going through, you need to know that I've been praying for you without ceasing. When I wake up in the middle of the night, I pray for you in this church. When I just pray and pray and pray. So in verse 10, Paul wishes and longs to go see them, these brothers and sisters in Rome. He says in verse 10, I always in my prayer make requests, if perhaps, he says, now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. I, I, I want to be with you so much. I can taste it, Paul is saying. I want to, by the will of God, I want to succeed in coming to you. In the King James, the King James Bible says, Paul prays that he would have a prosperous journey. Not succeed in coming, that it would be prosperous, that he would be able to to come there. Well, how did God allow Paul's trip to go? I would imagine first class, wouldn't you? He's praying like crazy that he would be successful in going there, prosperous in getting there. I would imagine, man, he just kicked back first class cabin and just cruised into Rome. You might say, but not quite. The book of Acts, in the 27th and the 28th chapter, tells, tells us about how Paul got to Rome. Listen to parts of his trip. First, he went there as a prisoner in chains. <laughs> Not quite first class. Secondly, the ship that he was on got into a terrible, terrible storm. So much so that the ship got lost and it was shipwrecked. <laughs> and those sailors, the sailors, Paul wasn't a sailor, the sailors were crying out, we're going to die! We're going to die! And he's in chains. Prosperous? Successful? How would you like to be on a boat in chains and the and the crew is running around, we're going to die, we're going to die. Not too successful or prosperous, I'd say. Oh, oh yeah, wait. When he finally got to shore, and he reached in to get some twigs to build the fire, you know what he picked up by accident? A snake that bit him. And the natives knew this kind of snake and knew that he had no chance to live and they just stood there waiting for him to die. Successful, prosperous. 
Boy, you could have heard me moaning and groaning from here to Rome and beyond. Yet Paul prayed in verse 10 for a successful journey, a prosperous journey. All in verse 10 it says, so that God's will would be done. What's up, God? You don't like Paul? Is that the way you treat people that pray to you? You know something? Paul was in the will of God. Therefore, the trip was successful. Because of that simple truth, because Paul was in the will of God. You know, so many people will tell you, a lot of preachers, especially on TV, they'll say, boy, when you, when you ask for the will of God, you'll have success. Bed of roses, come to Christ, everything will be perfect. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, not at all. Some translate success, God's success, if you would, into the world's idea of success. Some translate success into money, fame, health, position, good life, you name it. Answered prayers for so many does not have anything to do with the will of God, but with the will of man. God's idea of success is not necessarily yours or mine. Old Testament, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, says God, than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You want to see God's idea for success? Look, watch. It's right here in the, eighth, in the first chapter of Romans, in verses 11 and 12. Look, here's God's idea of success, and Paul prints it out. I long to see you, he says in verse 11, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established or mature or grow in your faith. Verse 12, that is, that I may be, Paul writes, I may be encouraged together with you. While among you, each of us, each one encouraged by what? Each of us be encouraged, encouraged by the other's faith. Both yours and mine, says Paul. You see, God's idea of success is sharing our faith and our gifts with one another. God's idea of success is to establish one another and to encourage one another, to build each other up. And that's where I really got the idea. I wanted the names of those who encourage here in this church. Was Paul successful or prosperous? When he came to Rome, they put him in jail. And Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14, he says, I want you to know, brethren, listen to Paul's words. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, in other words, my being in prison, my coming here as I had come here, turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment 
in the ca- and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Verse 14. So that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That's prosperous in God's eyes and in Paul's eyes. Far more courage, he says. Because I'm in jail, people have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. My circumstances, he says, has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now you know why I love this man Paul so much? Why I can't wait to just look at him. That's all I want to do. Don't need to shake his hand. Don't need to do any of that. Just want to look. And so I wrote down in my notes, what about those who serve Christ here? How they have encouraged me. And probably have encouraged you as well. As a matter of fact, each of us could probably go down and have a, a, just a, a whole number of names that, that you can think of that maybe you ought to say thank you sometime to. I wrote down, I'm proud to be a part of this church. I am. I wouldn't change you folks for the world. I wouldn't. You're pure gold to me. You're very special. All of you. You see, when Paul wrote in verse 12, we are encouraged together with you by each other's faith, your faith as well as Paul's. You see, when God is doing His work, people, we will all be blessed by one another. I will bless you, and you will bless me. And that's the way it is. That's true Christianity. So what I want to try to encourage you to be calm is a person who not always just takes, but gives. Give and take. Give and take. Community of believers, each of us carrying our share. We have plenty of money to buy a church. Problem is, you're holding on to it. (laughs) You know, you know, you got to have guts to say that in this economy that we're in, with people losing their homes. And trust me, we know what that means to lose a home. We understand. It took a lot of courage for me to say that. I love you folks more than you'll ever know. And for me to say what I just said, you've got to know that I absolutely adore you. That was really a lot of guts. There's no way of putting around it. The truth of the matter is, we do. If we could, if we could serve and give and just give the portion that God has given us, whatever that is, we'd be able to buy some, the place. 
We'll see what happens. I love you more than you'll ever know. I can't even begin to tell you how much a privilege it is to be a part of this family of God. I'd give anything if I was a few years younger so I could be with you longer. I'm not going anywhere. Not yet. Not that I know. Although my brother-in-law had a heart attack this week and we'll go see him. I, he's, he's doing okay. I talked to him on the phone today and he seems to be okay. But you never know. He was working out and he fell. Tommy Lasorda used to tell Joe Lasorda when she asked him to mow the lawn, he says, no, I will not mow the lawn. He says, I hear of far too many men dying of a heart attack mowing, <laughs> mowing, the, mowing the lawn. <laughs> so I told my brother when I knew he was feeling okay, I said, well, that'll teach you to work out, won't it? He'll be fine. Father, we thank you for the night. Help us to be this church that Paul is explaining. Help us to be transparent. Let us, let us really live out our faith. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. And let us proclaim who we are, having people hold us accountable. Let us not hinder your work through this church by living a life that's contrary to that. And Father, let us pray for one another unceasingly. Let us, let us make our prayer life a part of, of who we are rather than the things that we do or say. Let us be prayer warriors, just being aware of you in every situation. And Father, let us be prosperous. By that, Father, I only ask that you allow us to be in your will, that you will take us to where you want us to go, and we will follow. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.